You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. Monday the 17th of October, beautiful bright autumn morning, around 19 degrees Celsius here in TW11. Later we will reflect, of course, on all the, the delights and talking points from Kipco British Champions Day and the eclipse of Baid to the not particularly special crowd and rather uninspiring TV number. That's all to come, but first of all, important news coming from Cheltenham from the Jockey Club, that the Cheltenham Festival, after an extensive period of consultation, will remain as a four-day event, contrary to widespread speculation, that it was going to be extended to five days. Those uh, questions of when rather than if had been circulating for a long time. But the announcement has been made that for the foreseeable future, the festival will remain at four days, 28 races, seven races a day. The chief executive of the Jockey Club, Nevin Truesdale, is with me now. Nevin, why have you decided to stick rather than twist? Yeah, good morning, Nick. Um, yeah, obviously announcing the decision today, as you say, to remain um, in a four-day format, a decision that we're very comfortable with. Um, as everyone knows, we've been through, and as you alluded, we've been through a very detailed and rigorous process. We've actually ended up speaking to or hearing from over 3,000 people as part of that. Um, everybody um, across the industry stakeholder groups, you would expect trainers, owners, jockeys, but also sponsors, media, um, and so on. And that has been probably one of the most rigorous processes I've been involved with and, and in the end you know there, there's a number of uh, there's frankly a multitude of different factors here um, but I think when you look at the um, compelling case that was presented in the research for a, um, a significant number of people coming along on a Saturday and that definitely came across um, there were reasonably significant counterpoints to that you know there are clearly challenges of ground um, and the current track configuration which we looked into in, in a fair bit of detail as part of this and obviously that was something that we um, we were very keen to factor in from a from a from from a from a racing point of view. That's a, that's an important factor. Um, we're we're also looking at what we're hearing through you know, the industry stakeholder management. We're we're listening to the room, if you will. I think that's really important for us as a business to be able to look beyond just um, our own business and look towards the industry, you know, in line with our Royal Charter commitment, and 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 really listen to what people are telling us. But also, then you, you layer in you know, things like the wider macroeconomy. Um, the fact that we're potentially heading into quite a quite a challenging period, or arguably already in it, um, and and you get to based on a, a very finely balanced set of um, conclusions, you, you you get to a conclusion that you know is 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 definitely the right one and one that we're very comfortable with. I mean, how much would you have made? out of a fifth day what did your studies tell you how much extra revenue would you have generated yeah just i mean clearly clearly the finances are, are a big part of what we were looking at as part of this process and as you can imagine we did a lot of different scenario modeling for both both remaining at four days and also a fifth day because there's a multitude of different factors here you know what what sort of crowd would you get on a saturday how much might you cannibalize out of the first two days which was definitely a factor by the way moving from seven to six um races the, the research did tell us that that could be potentially a negative it wasn't enough to hold the financial case below the waterline but it was certainly enough to, to dampen it um so it's difficult and we can't really put a definitive figure on that but i think it was very important for us to factor that in across a wide range of other considerations some of which i've already mentioned 
Um, and in the end, we, we, we took the view that, you know, we, we clearly had a, a reasonably compelling financial case, but not one that was um, not not one based on the, on the probabilities that we thought was one was 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 compelling enough um, given the other given the other factors. So you you can't give me any sort of ballpark numbers. What you were balancing X versus Y, and the reason that yeah, the... I, mean, I think yeah, I think we we be if if we get in, it'd be unfair to get into the specifics around the numbers because there are so many different factors at play, and and, and the, the judgment calls you make around that are clearly. And um, once we've had to we've had to make in, in, in private, but I think if you look at the other extraneous factors you know, beyond the finances, um, clearly, um, and with a financial case that isn't as straightforward as people might think, then you, you've got to weigh all those different things up. But we we, we are not talking we we were not talking tens of millions, put it that way. So, couple of important questions: How long is the festival guaranteed to be? a four-day event how 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 long have you i'm not going to say kick this into the long grass but um how long before this gets reviewed again how long can you guarantee a four-day there's, event there's no, there's no time scale on that at all nick um and we would we certainly would not propose one um we've we've been through a very detailed rigorous process we've come to our conclusion and you know, for the certainly for the foreseeable future we would see it as a four-day format clearly I and mean, you can never rule out change at some indeterminate point in the future um that's you know, you, you, you simply the world is an uncertain place circumstances change um people's viewpoints considerations change the economics change um so you know what at some stage in the future um it, it may be raised again but we we don't see that as part of our current plans four days of course but it, nowhere in the press release does it say which four days of the week are you committed to tuesday to friday or is saturday a possibility we, are, we absolutely are committed to tuesday to friday um i mean we did i, I can the inference your question curious did we look at wednesday to saturday and the answer is we did um, there are some um, positives to that, but there are so uh, there are so, so some significant ch- um, commercial challenges around that as well. Um, n- not least, um, you know, the, the impact of potentially um, not being on the ITV main channel on, on the Saturday. But there are other factors in there as well. So we we, we did look at that. But for, for now, we are absolutely committed to Tuesday to Friday. Yes. So if if you could get guaranteed terrestrial slot, would Saturday become a more appealing option? It would be again. It's one of a multitude of factors, Nick. Um, but it would, I mean, it's certainly, it, it's, it's undeniable, it would certainly help. But um, there, there is no one silver bullet here, one way or the other. Now, clearly, if it's four days, and it still is Tuesday to Friday, we saw from this year that unless the economic downturn is so significant that it's going to have a massive impact on the crowd, you are going to be able to sell this out and sell it out pretty hard. What are you going to do about crowd? And are you still intending to cap the crowds for the comfort of the of the of the audience? Yes, absolutely. That was something we obviously found actually as part of this consultation process. It's worth mentioning that we weren't just talking to people about four versus five days. We we, we discovered a whole range of other um, impacts and extraneous bit of information as well which i think are going to prove very very useful to us um, and one of which was and which we sort of knew from thursday and friday this year and a one of which was that a cap for comfort um on the customer experience was extremely important and something we obviously announced a few weeks ago um that will absolutely remain in place and um we but we still even within that have substantial um scope to grow the festival certainly you know, by getting tuesday and wednesday up um, by looking at your know, on-course experience, um, new things we, we, we might consider doing um, as, as part of the as part of as part of the innovation. We 
barely a year has gone by the last few years where we haven't introduced something new. Um, so this is not a standing still by any means. I mean, the, the festival um, will continue to grow into an even more significant asset than it is at the minute. You're in, you're in a tricky spot in some senses because obviously the tickets are getting hotter, which means theoretically, if you're going to have fewer people, you can charge more for them. But we're obviously entering deeply uncertain economic times. How do you feel about how you're going to price those tickets, particularly what, given what you saw on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, we'll certainly need to look at our pricing in some depth, obviously weighing up all those different factors that you mentioned. The need to continue to grow the festival, um, not just the, the entry price ticket, but also um, the, the F&B, the hospitality prices. I mean, the, the tickets actually, generally, the, the ticket prices weigh up reasonably favourably against other your top sporting events. We're, we're dealing here with third largest attended sporting event in the country um so that is the scale we are talking about and there is a real demand for people still wanting to come and if you look at our pre-sales for next year obviously reasonably early days but but there's a very very encouraging picture there but clearly we've got a factor in the wider macro economy with 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 any pricing decisions we make and that's what we've always done we'll continue to do and any plans for any more significant capital expenditure to enhance the consumer experience uh, yes, I mean, we're obviously looking at a number of different things we can do um, around the site and there's, there's nothing to reveal on that at the minute, but, but certainly we, we always have you know, a, a significant slate of things we would like to be doing and are, and are evaluating, not just at Cheltenham, but across the whole of the Jocelyn portfolio. So I mean, obviously those, those plans will emerge as and when we, 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 we do the work on them and we can afford them. And finally, Nevin... Are the 28 races that we experienced last year going to be the same 28 races in in perpetuity? Again, for, for next year, absolutely for 2023. But you know, you, I, 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 that's one of the questions I would say. You know, you look at that, and you will always look at the race program um, against the horse population, and you make decisions as we go along. So it would be wrong, be foolish of me, foolish of me here to sit here and say that. John, John Pullen has to keep exactly the same 28 races, but, but certainly for now that would be the case. But, but, but obviously we need to look at that in the context of you know, the top and jumps programme that's under review and, and the horse population generally. All right, that was Nevin Truesdale, Chief Executive of the Jockey Club, the owners of Cheltenham Racecourse, who have today announced their decision to remain at four days. It's rare, David Yates from the Daily Mirror, that um, news being no news is such important news. How will the how will this news or or no news be received by the industry? I think it'll be received with uh, a measure of relief. Uh, I think it'll be received positively. And I think that um, the, the the jockey club's uh, role is to act for the good of horse racing. And we know that that doesn't always mean just uh, going for the uh, the biggest bottom line um, in the past. We've talked about the the Brigadier Gerard meeting at uh, Sandown in May and how that might uh, that that would obviously get a bigger crowd if it were moved to the Saturday. Now, in the case of the five day festival, we know that uh, the accountants would tell us that the the bottom line uh, would result in a, um, a a decent payday for horse racing. Um, but most of us, I think, who have looked at this over the years feel that it would have been a negative step that it that there are already enough races over the 28 that aren't perhaps quite as compelling as we would like to see at the Cheltenham Festival remember the um the uh, the four day 
novice chase this year, the Turner's novices chase. We also didn't have each way betting on the national hunt chase, a single figure uh, field for the supreme novices. So um, for those of us who felt that the competition had been watered down far enough, this is a good result. And it shows to give the jockey club uh, great credit that they have acted in the long-term interest of horse racing and they've also listened to their stakeholders they could easily have um announced that they were going to a five-day festival i think most of us who were braced for an announcement this week thought that that's exactly what they would do and they would be able to justify it on um uh, on r the revenue that a fifth day would generate and how that could benefit other areas of the sport uh, they haven't done that and i think that they deserve a good deal of credit for listening to the um, the stakeholders. There were some high-profile people, among them Sir A.P. McCoy, who said that he thought that uh, going to a fifth day was a bad idea. They've listened, and I, I, I give them full credit for that. A couple of things to point out here. I asked about the Wednesday to Saturday, even if you're going four days. Um, Nevin Truzio said, Not, no plans for that immediately. Clearly something they looked at. They want a Saturday audience. ITV couldn't guarantee them a a slot on the main channel on Saturday, which I thought was interesting. Now, clearly, Six Nations rugby is 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 going to be clashing around about that time of the year, and you'd never be so presumptuous to think you'd be able to to kick that off off the ITV main channel if it was on. On the other hand, it's a it's a reminder to racing of its place in the world. That isn't it? Yeah, it is, but I don't think that really surprises anybody. I think that with you know every sport outside football has had to. Um, accept the uncomfortable truth that we sit quite a way down the pecking order now. Um, and with uh, with the Six Nations, if you said, well, the you know, obviously the, to people like you and I, if if we were asked, well, which is more important, we would say the Cheltenham Gold Cup. But that doesn't go for everybody, and um, I, I I think that that's a that's not particularly surprising that ITV executives wouldn't guarantee a uh, a place on uh, terrestrial for 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 Gold Cup Day. Uh, you know, my own view is that in in the public consciousness, um, the Six Nations probably does resonate more these days, and that's a uh, an admission I make with heavy heart. So I don't think that's a massive surprise. So clearly, the the topic of the Cheltenham Festival and how many days it's going to run for is is going to dominate the news over the next few days and debate leading up to the course's first fixture at the weekend. But really, today, Monday, following Kipco British Champions Day, was the day when we were supposed to be reflecting on the success or otherwise of that event, both from a consumer point of view and also from a from a racing point of view. Dave, where to start? Let's start with with Baid, uh, the obvious place. We built it up so much. Um, William Haggis has been extraordinarily gracious in defeat. And I, I thought significant yesterday that he was disinclined to attribute the poor run to the to the state of the ground. What sort of legacy does this horse leave now? Yeah, I think that it, let's just talk about William Haggis first, Nick. Um, when Sea of Class was narrowly beaten in the arc a couple of years ago by uh, Enable, uh, I thought that he gave a, an object lesson to all sports practitioners in how to how to deal with what must have been a crushing defeat. And it was exactly the same on Saturday. Uh, he gave time to reporters, didn't 
flounce off in a huff because Baid had been beaten. Uh, he stood there and gave a measured and dignified response to what must have been a very painful professional moment uh, with the defeat of Baid. And, uh, you know, th from uh, everyone who works in the racing media and everybody who watches from further afield. He deserves great credit for that. Um, in terms of Baid's legacy, he goes down as one of the, uh, the the great horses of recent years. I don't think there's any doubt about that, uh, particularly, and William Haggis was apt to reference this yesterday, uh, that his six-and-a-half-length dismissal of his rivals in the Judmont International at York, he, he hoped that that would live longer in people's memory than that rather flat farewell at Ascot on Saturday. And I think it's fair to say that Bailly didn't have the same resonance with the wider public as did Frankel, but we know why that was. It was because um, there was a, a very public and visible uh, fading of the, of the light with Sir Henry Cecil with the, the last great work of, of his career. Uh, of course, Frankel won at Champions Day in 2012 and 2013. Um, but for all that... He didn't perhaps resonate with the wider public. Those of us who loved watching him, he was a um, a late developer. He ran, I think, was it the the Monday after the Derby in 2021 uh, for the first time, and then of course went on that unbeaten spree of of ten races. Uh, the last of them, the last six victories in Group One company, including that stunning win at York over ten and a half furlongs. We did didn't see him over a mile and a half in the arc and I think that it's fair to reflect that given the ground at Longchamp um, on October the 2nd that was the right move yes the valedictory wasn't what we hoped and it wasn't what we expected but we still witnessed a great horse over the last 18 or so months I made the point yesterday Dave that if if you were going to have a horse beat Baid who would you be happiest with as a as a winning story and I, I guess Another success for Sir Michael Stout, courtesy of of Bay Bridge, and and the promise of more to come from this this fine big horse. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it, there's an irony, isn't there, that that Sir Michael Stout and William Haggis are friends, and Sir Michael joked afterwards uh, that uh, he hoped that was still the case. And yeah, this was a. Uh, it's. We we have a very difficult relationship with Sir Michael Stout, or at least I feel that I do as part of the, the racing media, in that he doesn't give us very much, but we regard him with huge admiration and affection. And it, it's, it's really heartening to see Sir Michael win the derby this year with Desert Crown, a horse that we didn't see subsequently. And then just at the end of the season, remind us of what a master of his craft he really is. Um, this horse had, had had sustained a knock, which we didn't know about until uh, an, until Saturday afternoon, I don't think, after his uh, fifth of six in the, the Coral Eclipse at Sandown in July. He had uh, 15 weeks off and then came back to to win this prize. It, it was a, a masterful training feat, not the first from Sir Michael Stout. And, and I really hope it's not the last. I think that the um, his his combination with Richard Kingscott this season has been one of the, the, the real high spots, although, you know, it, it's only really come to the uh, to full prominence in in two uh, group one races. But, uh, yeah, it, it was it was great to see Baybridge come back and, and show us what he could do with the first victory at, at the top level.
And if we can see this horse progress again, and there's no reason why we can't see more of him in 2023, then we've really got something to look forward to. It was disappointing that Baig was beaten, but uh, the result itself uh, was still worthy of no. I, I felt slightly sorry for connections of Baybridge because whilst uh, they were in the, the winner's enclosure, uh, most of us were scuttling around trying to get quotes from Jim Crowley and, and William Haggis, and perhaps they would feel that they didn't quite get the accolades they deserved in the press on Sunday but that's just the nature of the beast. Indeed it was a fine day for Sir Michael Stout it was a fine day also for Richard Kingsco also for Tom Marquand even though he's so closely associated with the William Haggis stable the ride on Baid has always been Jim Crowley's because of his association with with Shadwell Marquand himself rode by his stable companion My Prospero into third place in the Kipco British Champion Stakes, having won the Queen Elizabeth II Stakes, the chief supporting feature, on the 33-1 to outsider Bayside Boy. For good measure, Marquand went to Paris yesterday, where he rode a Dabe to victory. And it was a Dabe, a horse who he'd been so close to through his whole career. It was his swan song as well. Uh, I spoke to Tom Marquand this morning, and I, I asked him how much satisfaction that particular victory had given him yeah that, that, that was really special um to be honest at, at the time i didn't realize it was uh, his sort of final swan song um but to, to be honest it kind of um it felt right like i pulled pulled up after and um look, it's not it's it's not often you feel a little bit emotional winning on a horse to be honest with you but um yeah, it kind of, it kind of just, it felt like it was the right time, and um, obviously, Susan was with William and, and Sheikh Ahmed, and I had absolutely nothing to do with it. But um, yeah, to, to to be honest, it made me pretty happy that um, they'd decided to do that, and you know, he's he's been um, a major part of my career in, in the last couple of years, and probably uh, sort of built built most of the career that I've got now certainly built you reputationally not only in in the uk but particularly in australia on your adventures with him down there and some of those during the pandemic as well just explain how intense that whole period was for you yeah obviously extremely enjoyable because of the outcome but um there was yeah there was a lot going on i, I arrived back, back down in australia um having spent the previous two winters there just riding australian horses sort of literally two days before England went into lockdown. Obviously, we didn't have a clue what was going on. And, um, yeah, I was very lucky with that timing. And then um, I actually ended up getting kicked a few days uh, before and fractured the top of my fibula, uh, literally four, four, five days before he was running in the Rambit, which was his first first group one. And, um, yeah, it was a it was a turbulent time. And, and he, I mean, he just answered every question we had for him. He, he won the Rambit well and then obviously went on to win the Q2. And, um or Queen Elizabeth say sorry and um he was he was just sort of the ultimate horse to take down there because he, he's such a legend and, and, and made life um remarkably easy for, for Harry Eustace who took him the first year. He's a, a horse that'll be extremely fondly remembered. You you might have the QE2 on your mind because you won the race of the same name at Ascot on Saturday on Bayside Boy. Uh, I asked um, Roger Varian yesterday to what extent that had surprised him. And he said, well, if they go off a 33 to 1, they're always going to surprise you a bit. But when I watched the race again, I was really struck by how hard the horse hit the line and you almost couldn't pull him up. Did he Did he sort of catch you out a little bit? Without a doubt, I'd be I'd be lying if I said he didn't. Um, you know, the 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 plan was to sort of uh, ride him as if 
um, third, fourth was the position that, that we were sort of aiming for. And um, as we know, Ascot, there's loads of time. And uh, I sort of edged out for a bit of a run from two and a half down. And um, just the second I gave him daylight, to be honest, it was pretty pretty clear that he was going to go and win. Um, he felt he felt unbelievable. And yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a surprise. Um, but uh, a, a very welcome one. And yeah, I mean, he... he he proved himself top class horse because he he had an exceptional turn of foot to go and pick up um, that sort of front three that had stretched away. I mean, that's what I was going to ask. Obviously, we make a bit of the disappointment of Inspiral and modern games maybe didn't run absolutely to his best. And you think, well, maybe the race was right for something to fall in. Are, are you saying you definitely think this was a performance of top-notch Group 1 calibre? Yeah, I, I, to me, without a doubt, um, look, there, there, there is the argument that things maybe didn't go the way of other horses, but I think um, using using uh, the gates to say Inspiral ran badly, I, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so sure because we were upsizer after ten strides and um, having to sort of do the same work, and you know, I think that that just proves that it was a Group One performance. Um, Albeit maybe a couple of others did underperform, but I, I just the manner in which he did it was was pretty exceptional. The other point to note: watching races again after the after the first viewing on Saturday was just how strongly your mount, My Prospero, finished ahead of your own stable companion, Baida, uh, behind Baybridge in the in the Champion Stakes. How good a horse do you think My Prospero could be next year? Yeah, yeah. Um, to, to be honest, he's he's a bit of a monster. Um, still uh, raw and immature and you know he's very lightly raced and, and uh, he showed in St James Palace at top level of form over a mile and we always thought he'd be better at 10 um, obviously a bit disappointing to go down a narrow margin but he you know he still felt like he's learning to race properly and obviously he, he'd come off a bit of a, a gap in between runs after coming down the half the line at, at Song Clue so um, I'm, I, he's a horse I'm absolutely in love with and, and really looking forward to seeing what he can do next year Tom Markland there, rider of a Bayside Boy on Saturday and a, a Dave yesterday and also big words for my Prospero's future next year and so many good horses staying in training and incidentally while we're talking about handing out the bouquets John O'Connor from Bally Lynch Stud this was much publicised Saturday afternoon he stands New Bay the sire of both Bayside Boy and Baybridge he is a part owner of both horses. He bred Bayside Boy. Bay Bridge will stand at Bally Lynch when his racing days are done. And for good measure, he had the winner of the feature race in Ireland as well. Uh, as I said yesterday, if Carlsberg did race days for, for John O'Connor on Saturday, you fancy both horses that we've just been talking about might be headed to the Breeders' Cup. Certainly Sir Michael Stout didn't rule it out with Baybridge yesterday. And Adair could well... Um, take him on again in the Breeders' Cup turf with Mishriv added to that race it suddenly becomes a hell of a lot more interesting than it looked about three weeks ago and, and Bill Mott's warlike goddess might have a bit more on her plate than perhaps uh, she and he had originally anticipated more of that as the week progresses more of British Champions Day now the other highlights the group ones the other group ones that weren't the QE2 and the Kipco British Champion stakes uh, both went to Frankie de Tory. Rafe Beckett's Kin Ross and Emily Upjohn in the uh, Phillies and Mares. They're rather a reminder of what might have been had she stayed hale and hearty through the entirety of the season, Dave Yates. Yeah, I, I suppose that um, if the equine 
uh, headline maker was was hard to predict then the human one uh, was a bit easier in the sense that we had Frankie de Tori uh, to the fore with two group one victories I think that I don't think I've ever seen Rafe Beckett quite so delighted after a big race win than than Kin Ross uh, in the British champion sprint you know he's a he's a classic a multiple classic winning trainer who is now very much in the elite echelon of his profession but I don't I've never seen him quite as delighted um as after that Emily Upjohn she caused the initial tremor that then became an earthquake in the summer uh, between and a, and a, a, a fracture between uh, John and Thady Gosden and Frankie de Tory. Remember, of course, that she was in front astride before the line in the Oaks and then astride after, but she was behind Tuesday when it mattered. Um, then, of course, there was the uh, the, the Royal Ascot uh, difficulty. And Emily Upjohn, I suppose there was a sense of, of payback in that uh, she should come back from that hard-pulling defeat in the King George at Ascot in July to, to lift the fillies and mares. Um, there'd been talk, I think, in Saturday's Sun of, that Frankie had said that he might not ride beyond uh, next year. Of course, he said that back in July uh, when there was the initial sabbatical between uh, him and the Clarehaven stable. Um, so I think that was the highlight. Obviously, um, it was interesting, once again, husband and wife, uh, Tom Marquand and Holly Doyle, they've had some great moments at uh, Kipco British Champions Day down the years. And, and once again, they were on the board uh, at Trusham with that hat trick in uh, the Long Distance Cup and, and Bayside Boy, who actually came from a similar position uh, to Inspiral uh, to win the Queen Elizabeth II stakes. And um, Chalier, that 80-1 to 1 shocker in the past, it was uh, a few eyebrows were raised on Saturday morning. It was the final day of the Naps table. Uh, the leader, Racing Post, on the nose. Miraculously, and by some coincidence, napped the same horse, Sweet Believer, as Gary Owen of the Daily Record, who was lying in second place, thereby ensuring, of course, that uh, the, the second could not overhaul the leader. Unfortunately, of course, they were both overhauled with the 80-1 to 1 shocker, Shellier, who delivered the prize to the Wolverhampton Express and Star. So, uh, yeah, plenty to reflect on. And it, it was a, I thought it was a great day's race. But Dave, for all the racing was excellent. We thoroughly enjoyed it. The two key metrics that the marketeers will be looking at, TV audience and crowd, don't paint a particularly pretty picture. Uh, under 500,000 average on ITV on the main channel and a crowd that was the the lowest figure since British Champions Day began, uh, if you exclude the COVID years. There's just no cut through, it seems, even with a even with a major horse like Baid. Yeah, it's, it's the lowest that they've had since the switch to Ascot because nobody went in 20. 2020. Uh, 2013 was the uh, the previous lowest, but 23,872 this year eclipsed that. Uh, the high was in uh, 2012, and uh, that was a figure of 32,348. So, yeah, the numbers are going down. And as you say, um, the, the TV figures too, 487,000 was the uh, the 
uh, average this year, and that was higher than last year, but look back to 2019, and you've got uh, 703,000, uh, a good bit less than the 487,000 this year. So, yeah, using the, those figures as the metrics, that's disappointing. Um, the overall drop, there, there's been a, a, a drop in uh, the average attendance at racecourses uh, from January the 1st to August the 31st this year of 17.4% on 2019. But the, uh, as, as you said to me before we came on air, the, the, uh, the, the marquee festivals, their numbers have held up remarkably well. Uh, and this Kipco British Champions Day in that sense is the outlier. So that's what needs addressing. It seems to be getting a lot of racing fans, but it doesn't seem to be uh, resonating outside of, of racing's uh, village. One observation of the attractions that uh, that there were at Kipco Champions Day uh, at Ascot on Saturday, and I, I think that um, generally it's done extremely well. I think that they should make the attractions perhaps less exclusively horsey. Obviously, we, we saw Stradivarius... Um, paraded at uh, in, in the paddock on Saturday um there was a, a a jockey masterclass wasn't there with the um with Tom Marquand and the the mechanical horse and we also had the you know very laudable uh, retraining of racehorses parade too um I wonder whether they should think a little bit more outside horse racing and the horse racing industry with uh, some of the attractions you know uh, putting it very crudely if you put a big band on after racing, then you're going to get people uh, on the site. And my own feeling with that, I, I know that it that the idea of that is something of a of a an uncomfortable thought for uh, for the the racing hardliners. But it, it it was conceived this idea to bring new people in and to uh, appeal beyond horse racing's boundaries. And I think that if you're going to do that genuinely you've got to swallow a little bit of a a bitter pill by bringing things like you know as i say a big band afterwards because that is what's going to make people travel uh from places like london um it won't please everybody but it will put numbers on the gate and also you're going to get if you do it effectively you're going to get a few bounce backs from that people who went there basically to see the band but they enjoyed the racing they discovered what a fantastic sport horse racing is and they came back on um lower profile occasions in the future well there were many great performances across the globe over the weekend from the united states to australia everything on kipco british champions day but one result perhaps resonates more than most and that is the victory of hewick in the american grand national at far hills in new jersey shark hanlon what a story, what a performance, 800 euros, he's now won the Bet365 Gold Cup, the Galway Plate, should have won the Kerry National under a huge weight, has now gone to America a few days later and won a massive pot, nearly 400,000 sterling this horse has won now, and uh, the trainer joins me now. Uh, Shark, I know you're just on the way back from, from the airport, you've just flown back overnight on the red eye, how are you feeling, how are the whole team feeling now? We're, we're we're tired now, but I had a, it was worth every penny of it. So it was like it's it's a dream come true for us. Like we're only a small yard, and it is a dream come true for. I think it's very good for Irish race and English race, and like it can be done. Anyone can do it. Do you know what I mean? It is. It keeps it keeps them syndicates all with their heart opened again. Do you know that? Listen, we we'll get a bundle of lads there together. We'll try and get another horse. 
Um, and I think it's good for racing. Oh, it's undoubtedly good for racing. What gave you the idea to do the American thing? I mean, he, he'd had a busy spell. He'd been running really well. He'd been storming up the handicap. What made you think, right, that's the right thing to do? Well, we, we talked about um, before Galway. Um, like, after this stall, we were going to be finished in Ireland because the ground would be too short. And, like, you know, at this stage with a horse like him, you have to go for the pots. Like, um, we went to this stall that people thought we were wrong, but uh, because, you know, you, could, you can't give away that much weight to good horses. And, uh, listen, he had a giveaway, and I think he had one only a little flip at the last but um, then I said if he came out of that race well I know it was only three weeks later but um, he came out with the next morning he went off kicking up across the field and um, I gave him a whole week off and we said if he's right when the week is off and we brought him back in and he felt super and looked super and didn't look tired and I said, here, we'll give it a chance. The, the race looked dead straightforward. The, the truth of it is, he jumped well, he travelled well, he showed loads of speed, and really he bolted up under another excellent ride from Jordan Gainford. How was the whole experience for you and, and your team? I mean, you looked like you were absolutely loving it. Listen, it was unreal. Like, the whole family came out with me, my partner and, and the two boys were there. Paddy looked after the horse, and he got to ride out the horse over there in... in um, Ricky Hendricks so it was Ricky Hendricks took the horse off the plane beyond when he went into quarantine and um, he, I thank him a lot as well because he was a gentleman he he, he done everything he rang me just what do I want done with the horse and I said just keep tipping over and we landed over there we we went back on them. we spent a couple of days in London or in, in New York and then we went on down Wednesday evening and down to the horse and towards the morning we gave him a little bit of a blow down there and schooled him and he was, a, he was in fine shape. I was very happy with the horse when I saw the horse. You know, on my eye, he didn't look to have lost any weight. And um, like, it was, like he, was, he was the one they all had to beat. I didn't care. And the drop rain came which I was very happy over because made the ground very safe. Like the most important thing, people had said to me, Jesus, the ground will be like the road and will you bring back the horse? And this was always in my mind. That was was the most important thing. I got my horse home. And um, when I saw the rapper over there on tours the Americans were on them didn't want rain I was doing a rain dance you know um, it was, it was, that's the way it was we wanted just to drop rain now he'd had firm ground as good as he would better probably than, than yielding ground but um, when the rain came it was absolutely yeah. ideal and the ground was beautiful so you were rain dancing before the race I would imagine you were dancing for a fair portion of the night after the race weren't you Shark? Uh, we had a great night and I had a, it's amazing what English and Irish people are in America um, I was talking to people that had travelled for three and four hours up to see this horse because the, the hype was going on for a week or ten days before the race and um, I, I was walking into the ring and met two lads from Cork and they were after travelling for four hours up to see you week and uh, I just thought it was lovely and just good good of people and after the race there we met a lot a lot of people 
that um, just came up especially to see the harsh London Irish lad and English lads in, in America. It was, it was amazing now. Well, it was amazing for, for us. Well, Shark, um, I can't wait to see him again. Where's he going to run next? He goes straight for a gold cup, I'd say. Yeah, I, I like he's he has uh, he's after having five or six runs the whole year there. Like he started with the Darren Nassim, which was one I think this day or last this day last year. Like he ran the Darren Nassim, he was very unlucky. He got carried. He 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 won that. Then I went to Dalton National. He should have won that, and he got carried out. Then the bet three six five. Then we went for a hurdle race, a pre prep race before lap or before. Galway and he, the shoes spun on his foot went up through the middle of his foot that was a, the, of the whole thing the whole year the scariest thing was we went to um, Ballinrobe for a nice handy hurl race that he would have won and he had got beaten in the but when he came back in he was on three legs and um, but the shoe went up through the middle of his foot I'm lucky enough that we, we had no harm done and then he, then he went on to Galway and Stole that, so he's going to get time off now. I'd say I won't bring him in until maybe the first of January, and um, it's not that far from from um, Cheltenham. Then you only have ten weeks, but I'm not worried about that. He's an easy horse to get fit, and I'd say I'd probably more than likely he'll go straight for a World Cup. All right, thanks to Shark and to all my guests today. Uh, David Yates has a selection for you this Monday afternoon. Yeah, 5.30 at Wolverhampton this afternoon. Crystal Dawn, number five, uh, scored at Chelmsford City. First win for David Brown since leaving Ireland. Then blew the start over this course and distance last time out. A clean break here. I hope Crystal Dawn can get back to winning ways. 5.30 race at Wolverhampton. Selection is number five, Crystal Dawn. Dave, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday, October the 17th. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.